We're in the book of Revelation. We're in the middle of chapter 9. And the title of the message today is Four Bad Hombres. Borrowing from the words of our former president who talked about bad hombres. We've got four of them here in this chapter of Revelation 9. I'm going to read verses 7 through 16, and then we'll have a, an opening prayer. Revelation 9, 7, the shape of the locusts. Remember, the locusts were unleashed from the bottomless pit, the abyss. Last week in the first part of chapter 9, where God gives the key to the abyss to uh, the enemy, to Satan, to open up the bottomless pit and release these 200 million demonic entities. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was about 200 million. I heard the number of them. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, prepare to study this passage in Revelation chapter 9 this morning, pray for, for peace and health and safety for all those hunkered down at home during this nasty weather. Please keep everyone safe. And for those who must be out on the roads, protect them. Station your angels all around their vehicles. And we ask you to bless this time of Bible study this morning. Uh, may it be a fruitful one, Father. For your sake and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John tells us this uh, in his vision, revelation, the apocalypsis. The shape of these locusts that were released, we saw last week at the beginning of the chapter, uh, was like horses prepared for battle. And again, we need to remind ourselves that John is a first century man and he's describing a 21st century scenario. So all the modern military equipment, weaponry we have was unknown to him. But in ancient times, war horses, horses that were utilized in battle, wore some type of body armor. So what he's seeing here, uh, considering, again, that these events are now beginning to unfold before our very eyes, he is seeing some type of a military incursion here, I believe. Horses prepared for battle. Verse 8, they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lions' teeth. Now, the ancient uh, Goth and Celtic warriors sometimes wore helmets and masks that looked like this. You may have seen some depictions of these in 
motion pictures or in books and so forth, but they would, the idea was to strike terror into the hearts of those being attacked. And so whatever it is exactly that John is seeing, it is a, it is a picture of terror, of fierceness, something to be reckoned with for sure. Verse 9, they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. Kind of sounds like Iron Man, doesn't it? And last week, uh, we quoted Barack Obama when he was in office stating that they basically had built Iron Man, that the military and all of their uh, research and development with regard to super soldiers and exoskeletons and so forth, that the military, and this is going back into the Obama era, had already developed something similar to the Iron Man suit. And it kind of sounds like that here. With the breastplates of iron, the sound of their wings like sounds of chariots, many horses running into battle and so forth again, a 21st century scenario being witnessed by a first century man. They had tails, verse 10, like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Again, a number of options here. It could be some type of a high-powered weaponry. These locusts could be airborne weaponry, attack helicopters, battle drones, or as I mentioned last week, when we look at this idea of that the, they had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails, again, it could be some type of a high-tech weaponry or it could be a vaccine, which we're all familiar with now like never before. Speaking of which, I spoke to someone yesterday who had gone for the vaccine because it was required by their, uh, their employer. And they actually specifically asked the uh, medical technician administering the vaccine. The question was, this really isn't a vaccine, is it? And they said, no, it's really not. It's an experimental drug. So uh, really interesting. But then we move on to verse 11. They, these locusts, demonic entities, in whatever form they manifest, we've talked about possibilities, again, of super soldiers, clones, and so forth, humanoids. We know there's a lot of talk in the technological world right now in the scientific community about uh, chip implants in people's brains to make them post-human, make them hybrids, and so forth. But they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And that name means destroyer. He appears as to be a powerful fallen angel whom Satan appoints as the commanding general over his demonic hordes. Abaddon, or as we saw here in verse 11 in Greek, it is Apollyon, the destroyer. And we know that that's Satan's goal, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We read in John 10.10, 10, the destroyer. Now verse 12, one woe is past. We saw three woes last week. And we mentioned that these woes, those aren't just warnings. Those woes are a statement that terrible things are going to happen. Not maybe, not possibly, but absolutely, definitely. One woe is past. Behold, two more woes are coming after these things. And keep in mind that this is in the midst of the seven trumpet judgments. So within the context of these seven 
trumpet judgments, there's, a, there's even more bad stuff crammed into the middle of it with these three woes. Verse 13. Okay, then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And so we have here the sixth trumpet sounds. Now the four horns of the golden altar, remember in Old Testament times, if someone was um, being accused of um, a capital crime, they could go to, the, to the, uh, the temple and grab onto the horns of the altar and that would be their way of pleading for justice, for mercy, for a fair trial and so forth because the Old Testament law of the blood avenger, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, and so... If, so, if someone had a family member, relative that was uh, killed, whether it was manslaughter, murder, what have you, then they had a right to track that person down and take their life. But if a person believed that they were being unjustly accused, they could flee to the temple and grab onto the horns of the altar, and that would uh, give them an opportunity to be able to plead their case. So that's the horns of the altar. But we read here, that the voice came from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. The voice would be that of God, of Jesus Christ, giving this command, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now these angels bound at the great river Euphrates are actually fallen angels or demonic entities. Second Peter 2.4, Peter mentions them here. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And in a moment we'll read from Jude chapter 1 where he talks about the same thing. But understand this, we know that there are demonic entities that do wander to and fro about the earth under the command of of Satan. But there's a particular group of angels that committed such heinous acts that they were bound until this time period here in the tribulation. Jude 1.5, Jude says, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Remember now, they marched across the desert they were prepared to go in and take the promised land, the land of Canaan. Moses sends out the 12 spies. Ten of the spies brought back a bad report. We can't do it, Moses. No, those guys are giants in there. We'll never, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Only Caleb and Joshua brought back a good report. Hey, Moses, we can do this. God is with us. But because ten of the 12 brought a bad report, what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. And that's what Jude is referring to here. That those, the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, brings them out, takes them across the Red Sea, parts the waters and so forth, afterward destroyed those that did not believe. And so by the wandering in the wilderness, because of the unbelief of the ten spies, that whole generation died out. And there was a new generation that grew up during the wilderness wanderings, that then went in under Joshua to take the land. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, 
He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, we'll see in a moment, it's referring to Genesis chapter 6, where the sons of God, or the angels, came down to the daughters of men. They cohabitated with these human women and produced offspring called the Nephilim, the giants in the, in, in the ancient times. Verse 7 of Jude 1, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So here's where Jude ties it together with these fallen angels. And then he talks about going after strange flesh, the sexual immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. Strange flesh is flesh that you're not supposed to go after. In other words, God created man and woman to come together in a monogamous marriage relationship, one man, one woman. Strange flesh is when men go after men, women go after women, which we see is exploding in today's world. Homosexuality, LGBTQ, all of this. Well, the Bible refers to that as strange flesh. Strange flesh could even be if you're married and you go after someone you're not married to and commit adultery, that's strange flesh too. But in this case with Sodom and Gomorrah, it's talking about the strange flesh of homosexuality. But this ties it in to these fallen angels. And now we'll read in Genesis 6 what happened. Genesis 6 beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. And in the Old Testament, when we see this phrase, sons of God, it's referring to the angels. If you go to the book of Job, you find that there it also refers to the angels as the sons of God. In the New Testament, we believers are referred to as the sons of God. But in the Old Testament, the angels are the sons of God. And there's a distinction here because we have sons of God and daughters of men, human women. They saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, of course, there's a certain segment within the realm of theology that, that disagrees with this interpretation that these sons of God are angels who now cohabitate and procreate with human women. Jesus in the New Testament said, there is no marriage in heaven. He said that we will be like the angels. There will be no marriage in heaven. He does not say that they cannot procreate. He simply says that they do not. He never ever, there's nowhere in the Bible that says they are incapable of that. And so they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh Yet his days shall be 120 years. And so our understanding here is that God is going to give the human race 120 years to repent of their sins while Noah and his sons are building the ark. Of course, we know the human race doesn't repent and everyone except Noah and his family are wiped out by the flood. Now look at what it says here in verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. So in that time of Noah, and what we've learned and discovered from studying these things, 
is that what was taking place is that there was an altering of human DNA by the, the commingling of the angelic DNA with the human DNA and rendering apparently all or most of the earth's population no longer what we would purely call human. Same thing going on today with all the genetic engineering, the DNA tampering that's going on, DNA uh, splicing with the CRISPR-9 technology and so forth. That was Satan's game plan back in the early days of the human race to corrupt the human DNA, and it's happening again today. So we, the result was these giants. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And that means not in a good way. It means they were terrifying. They were scary. They were dangerous. They were gigantic. And they were part angel and part human and part fallen angel, by the way. So there was a demonic implication there. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So we know that all human beings struggle. We have that inner conflict, good versus evil. In the Bible, it talks about the old man, the carnal man, the flesh versus the spiritual man. But at this time, during the time of Noah, what brought God to the place where he decided he had to destroy the human race and preserve only Noah and his family is apparently all the rest of the human population had a corrupted DNA, corrupted genetics. And the result was that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's what's going to be happening as we move closer and closer to the tribulation. And the Christians are removed, the rapture of the church at the beginning, before the tribulation kicks in leaving at that point only non-believers on the earth. Although many people apparently will get saved after the rapture, the tribulation period starts with only wicked inhabiting the planet. And that begins the outpouring of God's final wrath on this earth. Verse 6, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. When we get to Revelation chapter 13, we're going to see how everyone who takes the mark of the beast will be irredeemable. From that point on, they cannot be saved. And that's what it was at the time of Noah. They had become irredeemable because of the modification of their DNA. And we're moving in that direction again. And so God was grieved in his heart. He said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And again, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of wrath, there is always room for God's mercy, for his grace, for anyone and everyone who will repent of their sins and turn to him. But the evil, perverted acts of these fallen angels um, would have taken place, folks, in the vicinity of the Euphrates. This is called... The cradle of civilization, the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia. We believe the Garden of Eden was located somewhere in this area. And this was where mankind began after the fall, Adam and Eve, when they left the Garden of Eden and began to have children. And then their children had children and so forth. And so 
this, where this took place with these fallen angels and these human women would have been in that region. And so we see then that they are bound at the great river Euphrates. There's a website called Signs of the Last Days, and they have an interesting take on this. I'm going to read that to you. The holy angels of God are not restrained. God's angels, the good guys, the good angels, not the bad hombres. The holy angels of God are not restrained and go about in heaven and earth doing the good will of the Lord God. Hebrews chapter 1 says that angels are God's ministering spirits sent forth to watch over those who are the heirs of salvation. So we're talking first here about the good guys, the good angels. But these four angels in Revelation 9, 14 through 15 have been bound along the river Euphrates in the Middle East. And I'd even heard some reports a few years back when we were in the midst of the Iraq war, some pretty wild stories coming back from soldiers uh, encamped over there of some of the, the, the sounds that they heard around that region of the uh, Euphrates River, some demonic sounds and so forth. At any rate, these are obviously four fallen angels who followed after the destructive ways of Satan and as demons had been bound or restrained from doing their evil work of death. Then this prophecy in Revelation tells they are released at the great river Euphrates and they unleash themselves as demons of death going about their deathly work. The Euphrates is now a river bound by Islam. There are four Islamic countries whose land is at the river Euphrates. They are Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. And as prophesied, these four demons of death will work their demonic will with these four countries. And so we know there is a coming confrontation right now. The Bible says, by the way, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. What we've been seeing lately is more and more of these countries making peace treaties with Israel. Have you noticed that? We shouldn't be surprised by that because the Bible predicts that. When they shall say peace and safety. And so even though things appear to be improving over there in the Middle East, and these various peace treaties are being signed, at some point, that's all going to unravel, and all these Islamic countries around Israel are going to go after them, Ezekiel 38 and 39. And it would appear that Russia would be involved as well, perhaps spearheading the, the whole thing. So this particular website tends to tie in this idea of the four fallen angels bound there at the river Euphrates, with these four Islamic countries. Signs of the last days is the website. Now, verse 15. So the four angels who've been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, I believe that this is literal. There are four extremely evil, powerful fallen angels that have been Enchained until that proper time. But it also represents the four corners of the globe. This is going to be a worldwide calamity that's going to take place at the unleashing of these locusts from the bottomless pit, these demonic entities, along with these four lead fallen angels, bad hombres. I find it interesting. It says they've been prepared for the hour and day and month and year 
So in spite of the scores of doubters, mockers, and skeptics, God has a very precise, specific timetable for the events of the last days lined out in Scripture. I know for us as believers, sometimes we become a little impatient. We want it all to happen now, right? Like, you ever had those thoughts? Let's just do it. Let's get it over with. Come on, God, right? But God has a very specific timetable right down to the hour. The hour and day and month and year. God knows exactly when this is going to take place. 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, mockers, walking according to their own lusts. And we certainly see a lot of that in the world today, don't we? Self-gratification. I mean, more than ever before, that is the uh, modus operandi for most people. Self-gratification. And again, instant self-gratification, if at all possible. But they will come, these scoffers, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And that's certainly the case, that there are many in the world, when we talk about these things, when we look at them in the scriptures, they, they mock, they scoff, they say, yeah, right. I mean, you Christians have been saying this for 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. And it breaks my heart when I hear Christians say similar things like, well, I really don't think he's coming anytime soon because the Bible makes it clear God wants us to expect Jesus at any moment. There's nothing preventing him from calling us home at any moment. So we don't want to be found numbered amongst the scoffers, the mockers, those who accuse God of delaying his coming. God has a perfect plan and a perfect timetable and he wants us to always be having a sense of expectation, of excitement, of readiness for the return of Christ. And so we're told here that the four angels were released to kill a third of mankind. And of course that will be in conjunction with this 200 million demonic entities rising up out of the abyss that we looked at last week. These four angels, or demons if you will, are released in order to kill one-third of the remaining population of the earth. Now that's going to be added to the one-fourth who were killed under the fourth seal judgment that we looked at back in chapter 6, verse 4. We saw one-fourth of the world's population killed during that fourth seal judgment. So between that fourth seal judgment and the sixth trumpet judgment, we've seen more than half of the population, 0.583% killed, destroyed. And that's perhaps not even including those who were killed by wars, famines, and diseases. Or it could be a, a, a complete total, but it's more than half of the population. Now, one of the reasons I find this so interesting, you've heard me mention this before, there is in Georgia this stone monument, if you will, some have called it the American Stonehenge. It's called the Georgia Guidestones. It's absolutely real. And I'm going to read an article about the Georgia Guidestones to you. And we're going to show, I don't, there it is, up on the screen. Can they see that on the internet as well? So this is real. This is not fake. This is not phony. On Friday afternoon in June 1979, a well-dressed man with a Midwestern accent 
walked into the Albert Granite Finishing Company in Elberton, Georgia, and commissioned a monument to the conservation of mankind. The man identified himself only by the pseudonym Robert C. Christian and said he represented a small group of loyal Americans who believe in God who wanted to leave a message for future generations. Which I think this whole thing is a ruse, actually. We'll see as we go along. Although Christian wasn't from Georgia, he selected a site in Elberton for the monument, and construction soon began to his specifications. On March 22, 1980, so this is a little less than a year later, the Georgia Guidestones were unveiled, and they've been drawing a steady crowd of visitors for more than 30 years. Often referred to as America's Stonehenge, the monument is a 120-ton relic of the Cold War built to instruct doomsday survivors. Shrouded in mystery, the, the hulking granite slabs are engraved in eight languages, English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, Chinese, and Russian, that relay ten principles for an age of reason. Here's what is written there, and we're going to go back over these in a minute. One, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Now, right now, we have about 7.5 billion people on the planet. They don't tell you how they propose to bring the Earth's population all the way down to 500 million. But a Wuhan virus and the subsequent vaccine are a good start. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Unite humanity with a living new language. <laughs> Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with social duties. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Now, since the monument's erection, it's been targeted by vandals who painted over it, thrown epoxy on the slabs, and once covered the entire structure with black fabric. Locals tell stories of witchcraft taking place at the stones, and Elbert County resident Mark Clamp, whose father helped carve the granite slabs, says there have been instances of teenagers showing up dressed in black and toting buckets of chicken blood. To some, it's the holiest spot on earth. Hudson Cone, a former Elberton Granite Association employee, told the New York Times. To others, it's a monument to the devil. In addition to the ten guidelines outlined in the stones, the monument also has astronomical features that the mysterious R.C. Christian might have thought important to apocalypse survivors. The center column has a hole that points to the North Star. There's a slot that aligns with the sun's solstices and equinoxes, and there's an aperture in the capstone that marks noontime throughout the year. An additional stone tablet is set into the ground nearby, and it lists various facts about the guidestones. It also references a time capsule buried beneath the tablet, but fields on the stone reserved for the dates it was buried have never been inscribed. It's unclear whether a time capsule was ever placed in the ground. 
but despite its many unique features, it's the secrecy surrounding the Georgia Guidestones that brings visitors from around the world to the small city of Elberton. The identity of R.C. Christian is a secret that Wyatt Martin, the banker who acted as his agent, vows to take to his grave. I made an oath to that man, and I can't break that. No one will ever know, he said. And this article was just published in 2017, but they went up in 1980. Quite interesting. I want to go back over those 10 items that are listed on the Georgia Guidestones. One, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with human nature. Again, in order to achieve this, there's going to have to be some kind of a massive killing off of the Earth's population. And we're already seeing that in progress with this pandemic. We also see it here in Revelation chapter 6, Revelation 9. As I mentioned, at this point in the mid, midway through Revelation 9, or getting towards the end of Revelation 9, we've already seen 0.583, more than 50% of the Earth's population, dead. Number two, guide reproduction wisely. What does that sound like? Planned Parenthood, abortion, that's another way to reduce the Earth's population. That's also in full swing, especially now under the new administration in Washington. Not only funding abortions here in the, in the United States, but now opening up once again something that used to happen, and then it was shut down under President Trump, the funding of abortions in other countries. Now President Biden has reopened that and we will be funding abortions around the world. Number three, unite humanity with a living new language. I talked about this last week. The ancient Tower of Babel, prior to the uh, God intervening, when Nimrod and his associates were building the Tower of Babel, apparently everybody in the world spoke the same language. And the result was they were able to erect this demonic structure attempting to make contact with fallen angels, attempting to rise up to the heavens. And just like Satan, Lucifer, who was cast out of heaven because he tried to make himself equal with God, that's what Nimrod and his followers were doing. God stepped in and confounded them, confounded the languages, scattered the people over the earth. But now in these last days, we're seeing the new living language, folks. It's technology. It's the Internet. It's the modern-day Tower of Babel, and that's what the Georgia Guidestones calls for. Unite humanity with a living new language. Knock down all the communication walls and barriers. And when that happens, and we see Russian scientists, Chinese scientists, U.S. scientists, U.K. scientists from all over the globe combining their knowledge and their information, and now we see artificial intelligence. We see these microchips that are beginning to be implanted in human brains and so forth, the chimeras, the blending of different species. It's all happening now. This is the new living language that the Georgia Guidestones calls for. Number four, rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. This kind of sounds like a one-world religion to me. What do you think? And that's what Revelation predicts. Rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. I showed a video it's been a while back, a year or two ago, that was made by the Pope, by the Vatican, and it showed all these different religious leaders, a Hindu priest and a, and a Buddhist priest and a Muslim 
imam and all these different people. And then at the end, the Pope comes on and talks about how we're all coming together. Isn't that interesting? Paul wrote, What fellowship hath light with darkness? Come out from among them and be ye separate. Don't be unequally yoked. And yet that's exactly what's happening today is these, all these world religions coming together. How can someone who believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and believes in Jesus Christ as the one and only Son of the living God who died on the cross from our sins and rose from the dead on the third day, how do you enter into fellowship with those who do not hold those same beliefs and in fact embrace what Paul calls doctrines of demons? Number five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. In other words, we'll see that in number six, a world court. But it reminds me of social justice. Big hot button issue today, big buzzword, social justice. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts, which really means, as we're seeing right now in our own country, no laws and no just courts, just the opposite. Number six, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. We have a world court already over there in, in Europe, in Brussels, Belgium. And so instead of independent sovereign nations operating according to the dictates of their own goals, their own desires, their own guidelines, in our case, the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, so we and it's already beginning to happen that we're becoming more and more subjected to this world court. Seven, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Gee, kind of sounds like defund the police, doesn't it? Defund ICE, tear down ICE, the immigration group. Eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Balance personal rights with social duties. What that means is the end of free speech, right? The First Amendment, the end of the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, that's what it really means. All these things are posted on the Georgia Guidestones. Nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. It doesn't say the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It just says this generic, the infinite, whoever that is, right? Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. And ten, be not a cancer on the earth. And boy, isn't that what we hear all the time now? That we human beings are a cancer on the earth. We're destroying the environment, so forth. Leave room for nature, it says. Have you ever heard about climate change, so-called climate change? The New Green Deal. The current president just put us back into the Paris Accord, which President Trump took us out of. The Paris Accord is a non-binding agreement between nations to reduce their carbon emissions. However, all the largest nations, China, India, so forth, they don't participate. And yet we've been placed back into it by our current president, putting restrictions on our companies, our manufacturers, our factories that nobody else follows. Green New Deal, Paris Accord, You've probably all heard uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying we, we only have 12 years to fix it and we're, the human race is going to be extinct, right? You've heard that? And then now they've dropped it down to 10 years and then 9 years. So Al Gore too, right? Al Gore has been appointed some kind of a climate czar by the current president. It's all there in the Georgia Guidestones, folks. 
we're following the plan that they had laid out some 40 years ago. All right, just a little aside there on the Georgia Guidestones because we're talking about these angels released to kill a third of mankind. Now, verse 16. The number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Now, Charles Ryrie, he's been one of my favorite Bible commentators over the years. He says the 200 million creatures who compose this supernatural cavalry may be human beings or demons or demon-possessed humans, which is kind of what we've talked about. It could be super soldiers, could be human, uh, humanoids that have had chips implanted, so forth. But we know at the core, it will be demonic. I heard the number of them, John says, apparently announced by the angel that's guiding John through the vision. So these four nasty, vile, fallen angels, these bad hombres we've been talking about, they will be the commanders over this massive human-slash-demonic army. Now, the traditional wisdom on this, where does this gigantic army come from, the 200 million? The traditional wisdom says China, because they have one and a half billion people, and they have the potential for the largest army in the world. The sixth angel, Revelation 16.10 the sixth angel poured out his vial. So now we're looking ahead to the bowl judgments or the vial judgments. Poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Interesting. There have been different ideas and speculations about how this could happen. But I found an article that was written in 2019 July 3rd, 2019, why Iraq's great rivers are dying. Iraq is in a fragile state. The country is trying to rebuild itself after 30 years of near constant war, but a new crisis has emerged that could undermine its recovery. Iraq is running out of water. Iraq gets the vast majority of its water from two rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris. Both run down the length of the country, supplying drinking water, irrigation, and hydroelectricity to a booming population. It's hard to imagine Iraq existing without these rivers, but today they are in peril. The Euphrates in Iraq is down to a quarter of its normal flow. In 2018, the Tigris sunk so low that the people in Baghdad could wade across it, where these rivers combined, called the Shat al-Arab, became so poisonous last summer that 100,000 people were hospitalized sparking riots in the city of Basra. And so there's already a lot of uh, information coming forward that these rivers in Iraq, the Tigris and the Euphrates, are drying up. And it tells us in Revelation 16.10 that the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, some of you may have heard of Walid Shubat former Palestinian terrorist who became a believer. He's spoken in our church. It's been quite a while now. But he has some thoughts and comments on this idea of whether the army would be Chinese or from somewhere else. He says, I know of the wealthy kings of the east who came to my village. We're from the regions of Babylonia and Persia and possibly even further. Why not consider this option, he says. 
Westerners argue that the reason the kings of the East in Revelation come from China is the staggering number of soldiers, a 200 million man army. But Islam can easily muster this if you consider Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, uniting with Turkey, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Azerbaijan, and Tajikistan. <laughs> That's a hard one. Tajikistan. I don't even think I've ever heard of that one. Even Indonesia, east of the Euphrates, with several kings. So he's making the case because it says kings, plural, not king, that it actually represents a number of Islamic countries. Why do so many apply Revelation's prophecies to a future attack upon Israel by Russia or China? Especially China is but one king, and the biblical text says kings. So, different thoughts on that, but it does speak of the armies coming from the east, from beyond the Euphrates, crossing a dried-up Euphrates. And that would seem to indicate a land attack rather than a nuclear attack. Regardless, a massive 200 million man demonic army will be unleashed upon the world, reaping massive destruction of humanity, which has been Satan's plan since the beginning of time. And so, we're kind of short today because no worship. We'll finish the sixth trumpet and chapter 9 next week. The seventh trumpet doesn't appear until chapter 11. Let's stand, those of, that are here, those of you that are here, and we'll have a closing prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time together today. In spite of the bad weather, Lord, you never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, we're just thankful that you don't stay home when the weather's bad. <laughs> so again, people need to stay safe. They need to stay warm. But we thank you for those that are here. And for all those watching online, we pray for blessings, abundant blessings upon each one. Lord, we pray for all the prayer requests out there today, for health, for healing for financial provision, for mental and emotional strength and stability, for uh, rebuilding and repairing of relationships. Lord, you know what's on the hearts of everyone watching today. You hear their hearts cry, and we pray that you would answer each prayer, Lord, for your glory in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And for those of us that are actually here in person, we pray for safe travel as we go home. In Jesus' name, amen.